Hey, good morning, church. Good to see you guys again. Hey, Amen. <laughs> well, I am now immune. <laughs> amen. Uh, well, amen. Thank you, Mark. Uh, well, yeah, I, I wanna, do want to say to you there are a lot of things, I've, uh, sicknesses I've had are a lot worse than COVID, but there's nothing more aggravating than that. I'll tell you, they uh, arm the National Guard around your house and you're not allowed to leave or something. I don't know. It's, it's something else. So uh, anyways, uh, you know, as I say, be careful and do your best, but more than likely uh, you'll survive. And if you don't survive, it's your time to go anyway. So it's, it's going to be all good, right? Praise the Lord. I am Tim Klein, by the way, formerly the pastor here. And I feel like I'm preaching my trial sermon again, but uh, we'll do, do our best here. And thank you so much. Uh, so many of y'all were uh, just very gracious and kind and uh, did stuff for us. And um, I, I learned about DoorDash. That is when you all put something in my door and dash away. And um, so that was, uh, it's all good. So I've, I appreciate that so much. Um, and um, the, the phone calls and all of those things. Uh, thank you for not overdoing it as well. I don't want to just text 24-7, you know. But uh, thank you for appropriate amount of concern and care. We appreciate it so much. And um, so my family's done. Now it's Charles' turn. So anyways, get the vaccine. That's all I can tell you. Get the vaccine. Um, also, uh, people here that uh, just carried on ministry at the church and the people that kept snow scraped off and uh, all the different stuff that y'all did and Pastor Dan trying to hold hold it together and, and Pastor Joe stepping in and uh, he got like a two-day notice on a sermon once and he came through, didn't die or anything. And uh, thank you all for putting up with him and um, all of that. So it's uh, grateful for that. We had a great doorway class today and uh, Brother... Bob Weiniger came by and warned them that I've been out for a while, so no telling how long the sermon's going to be. And uh, someone did mention we have DoorDash, so if you feel a need for a pizza, just go ahead, and uh, it'll, it'll all be fine. The, this morning, we're back in uh, 1 Timothy. I expect it actually be done with 1 Timothy by now, but uh, providentially hindered, so it must be the right day to actually do this. And I want to talk about being a man of God. And so I'm going to, ladies, I'm going to give you all a Valentine's Day present. I'm going to preach to the men. All you got to do is sit there and shake your head and go, that's right. And that's all you got to do. And, um, and so uh, to the men, because this is key. Um, so to be a man of God, what, what does it really mean? Uh, what is Christian manhood? It seems to me that the present pattern... Uh, in our day of manhood is some kind of semi-feminine male who is a co-mother apologizing at every turn for any expression of masculinity as if being male in a masculine way is some kind of toxic disease. That's the general trend Men, uh, you know, Christian men, I want to tell you something. Throw that off. Stand up and be a man. D just be a man. Good grief. And it, in our day, just like you, you've been beaten down, it's been told to you so many times that being manly is ruining the family. No, lack of being a man is ruining the family. And so be a man. 
Uh, just be a man. So we'll talk about what, what does that mean? What does the Bible show us about manhood? Now, ladies, you need to know this because you are a primary teacher of men. You are the nurturer of men. Those little boys that are in your care right now in your home, whether it's your kids or it's your grandkids, you say a lot more to them than dads do. So you have an opportunity also to teach the next generation how to be a Christian man. Also, you teach your daughters what do you look for in a man? What does it look like? So here's at least a partial picture, and this is an instruction to every preacher. I just can't stand sissy preachers. I can't handle it, man. I just can't handle it. When I, when I shake hands with one and, they, and it just feels like they've never picked up a shovel in their life, it just grosses me out. I don't know what that is. I, I just don't get it. You know, I feel like if I threw a football to them, they would drop it. I just, I don't know. I don't like it. And, and, I, and you could say, well, you know, you, you just, you're kind of old school. No, I just know what manliness looks like. And um, so, uh, you know, I mean, I even go to a barbershop sometimes. It's called Be Mansome, you know. So, you know, men with beards cutting hair, you know. So, good grief. So here's a partial picture. And this is to be imposed on every preacher. But it's also about being a Christian man. So, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. And so the Apostle Paul gives Timothy, the young pastor, he gives him three charges, three commands. First of all, he says, you must obey the charge to flee. And then he tells him, you must obey the charge to fight. And then obey the charge to finish. Those three steps, those three mantras should be in the life of every Christian man. I must learn to flee. I must learn to fight. I must learn to finish. And so look what the scripture says. First of all, Paul says to him, obey the charge to flee. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Obey the charge to flee. Now he says, first of all, to flee from heresy. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Now, in this charge to him, there is a contrast to what he's been talking about in the rest of the book. He says, but you. And that is in contrast to those heretics that were preaching what people wanted to hear in order to have financial gain. Now, I know that doesn't sound familiar. But you, Paul says to Timothy, you've got to be different from that. You can't take the ministry and use it as a tool for self-promotion. You are bound to the doctrine of the Bible. You must preach and teach no matter if they hear it, no matter if they reject it. No matter if they drink it in, no matter if they stone you, you must preach and teach these things. And so he says for you, there's a contrast here. 
There's also an issue of character. But you, oh man of God. The Bible rarely uses that of anyone. Used it of Moses. Used it of Elijah. Oh man of God. What does that mean? It means a couple of things at least. One, that Timothy is owned by God. Man of God. Man owned by God. You do not belong to yourself, Timothy. You are a man of God. So you're owned by him. Secondly, it must have something to do with reflecting God. You reflect the character of God. You are the representative of God. I talk to our staff guys all the time. And when I get a chance to talk to especially pastors that are newer in the ministry, I tell them, you don't get to be normal. You, you don't have the privilege of just doing what anybody else does. You are a man of God. It's different for you. You, you don't get to make decisions like everyone else makes. You're different. Are you going to be a man of God? It's just going to be different. I want to say this to you. Even if you're not a pastor, you're a follower of Jesus. You're a man of God. You don't get to be normal. You, you don't get to be like everybody else. You don't get to make decisions like everyone else. You don't get to act like everyone else. You're a man of God. You're owned by God. You reflect the character of God. You represent Him. And then in this command, He says, flee these things. And this is a present active imperative meaning keep on running from these things run away from that which is falsehood run away from that which would entice you to live for yourself run away from that which would tempt you to greed to live for the purpose of gain and nothing else run from that one commentator said flee from it like it's a pestilence like it's a poisonous snake took my wife to eat at Chewy's yesterday. She gets a chip with a potato, a tomato on it or something. Me, I've got a burrito, but you know. But I noticed a little girl, that was a young lady that was a, our waitress. She must have stood off about six paces to take our order. And you know what's wrong with the world right now is you're wearing a mask. I don't know if you're talking or is that somebody else. And then what did you say? And then... I'm 57, almost 58, and so there's that. And then I've been a preacher. No preacher can hear. Or it might be we don't listen. It's one of those two. And, and so she's like, I'm like, are you, gonna, are you waiting on my table or the one across the way? I, I don't know. And you know what it is? She's afraid of COVID. I'm like, come on over here, girl. I'm the Omega Man now. Ain't nothing numb. Come on. Ain't no hurt nobody. Get over here. But, but people, you've noticed that. People are afraid. As, you know, I could walk in an empty Kroger's right now. Hey, y'all got COVID. General mass exodus. You know, we, we worry about our health like that. And, and there, there are some reasons that we should do that. We should be cautious about some things for sure. But for the love of God, how many of us as Christians don't worry about our soul enough to learn that there are some things we have just got to flee? Some of you are given to gambling. You learn to flee. You don't mess with that. You run from it. Others of you have, are given to addiction for whatever reason. 
You learn to run from it. You say, well, you know, addiction is a disease. Well, then I would run from it. I mean, you run from COVID, don't you? Run. Flee. There are times as a man of God, you just got to flee from some things. Run from it. And he says you got to flee from heresy. But he said you got to flee toward holiness. He said, but instead of these things, Timothy, instead of that, not just run from that which is wrong, but run toward that which is right. So many Christians that I know, they're really good about telling you what you ought to run from. But they're extremely weak on knowing what you ought to run to. That takes work. It's easy to spot dangers. It's hard to pursue that which you ought to pursue. Keep on pursuing holiness. But pursue these things. Not just run blindly away. But run toward the goal. And there are three pairs of virtues here. And he points them out. Pursue what? Righteousness. What is that? A right relationship with God. Pursue that and keep on pursuing. Again, a present active. Keep on pursuing this with all you got all the time, relentlessly without stopping. Pursue righteousness. Friends, we are justified and declared righteous and and righteousness is imputed to us based upon our faith in Christ. But then you must pursue the life of righteousness and that is no easy task. It is an ongoing battle. You must pursue and pursue. You must wake up every morning pursuing righteousness. A right relationship with God. And then that relationship issues in and gives birth to the next virtue which goes with righteousness. And that is godliness. And godliness is the way that we act. Too many people don't try to pursue righteousness a right relationship with God and instead try to jump on over and have some form of godliness but they have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof the power comes from the right relationship with God pursue righteousness and godliness and then faith what is this? pursue believing God all the time just believe Him then That belief is coupled with love. That is agape love, the kind of love that gives itself away. You've got to pursue that. You've got to do it on purpose. It doesn't come naturally. Oh, I'm just a loving person. No, you have a mild personality that just doesn't know how to do anything except to smile. That doesn't mean you're loving. Some people that you know called politicians have the best manners toward people that you've ever seen, but they're not loving. Loving is that dogged determination to give yourself away for the well-being of others for, with no credit whatsoever given to yourself. That's the kind of love that's called for. The only way you can love people that way is by believing God. That believing that God rewards those who do that. Nobody else is going to do it. But you have to believe that God will. And then also steadfastness, that perseverance. This is the thing I've been trying my best to disciple you toward as a church. As a church family, that determination, that steadfastness, that unwavering ability just to stand when the rest of the world is sliding off into hell. And then gentleness. Gentleness does not mean that you're spineless. 
Gentleness means toughness coated with love. Now, these characteristics are to be pursued. And one of the things that we're told is we need to know when to retreat and we need to know what we are to run toward instead. This particular verse of the Bible, I pray for my boys almost daily, but on a regular basis. Why? Because the world is not going to reward these things. My boys have never been paraded out on a football field in the 50-yard line at a high school football game and said about these boys, these two boys here are pursuing righteousness. Everybody stand up and cheer. The world is not going to reward it. My boys will never go to a job interview and them say to them, look, you guys are godly. I think we'll hire you. The world does not reward it. So therefore, it must be a work of God in their life that they would be motivated to pursue these things. And I always tell the Lord, Lord, don't let them get their eyes on other things that in the end do not count. These things count. Help them to believe you enough to let the things that count be on their radar. Pursue righteousness. You say, well, I, I don't know what to do as a dad. You pray for your boys and you set the example for your boys and for your daughters to pursue these things. You set the example, you encourage them. Honey, I, I would rather you be godly than to be the valedictorian. I would rather you pursue steadfastness in the Lord than to get a scholarship at an Ivy League school. I would much rather you learn how to trust God in everything than to have the highest paying job in the state. You see, parents, here's the issue. Your priorities are wrong and you're teaching them to your kids. No wonder we have a hedonistic, self-centered, self-loving culture now in which self is the entire God of the universe. No wonder. You taught them well. Now it's time to reverse it. And teach them that there are virtues worth pursuing with all you got. Obey the charge to flee. One rule of battle is you need to know when you need to run. My youngest son was, uh, he took karate lessons for some years. I'm not supposed to tell that, I think, but I did. And um, so the, the instructor said, what's the first line of defense? And so the kids are all like this, this move, that move. And he goes, no, run. If you can get out of it, run. And so there are times, guys, when it's not a matter of I'm tough enough to stand up to temptation. No, you're not. Run. Run away from it and run to the Lord. So obey the charge to flee. Then he says to him, obey the charge to fight. Look in verse 12. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Obey the charge to fight. Now, this word fight, when he says, fight the good fight, you know, obviously the word fight is a verb and then the other one is a noun. They're, you know, so, but they're, they're, they're twins. They're the same family. And the word there really is agonized. This is not about warfare per se. It's not like a military term. This is an athletic term. 
This is a term of wrestling. This is the term of, term of agonizing to finish. This is if you're playing basketball and you're down two points in overtime and you're completely exhausted and you've got about 45 seconds left. You just dig down. You just dig down and you finish. This is about wrestling. This is about boxing. You ever boxed? I did that in college one time. Uh, man, that is exhausting. Um, uh, you know, don't worry, it wasn't against Mike Tyson. But, wowza, that is so tiring. And then somebody's trying to, you know, beat you to death the whole time. It's tiring, you know. And there's, I, I'm telling you, I, you know, you just have this feeling of like, I'm just, I don't care. I'm just giving this up. I ain't doing this, man. It's too tiring. It's so exhausting. But you know what? You, those guys have the ability to, to, to do that for a little, just reach down and agonize to finish. And that's what he's saying here. That you must obey the charge to fight, to agonize. There is agony in the struggle. Fight the good fight of the faith. Agonize over it. It's exerting yourself like in a sporting competition. Reach for the goal. The faith here. What are you agonizing for? What are you straining toward? He says, fight the good fight of the faith. What is the faith? It's the sum total of Christian doctrine, doctrine, and especially the gospel and all of its related doctrines. It's the main doctrines of the Christian faith. You're going to have to agonize in order to establish those in your life. You're going to have to agonize in order to stand up for them. I want to let you know something. The world and the Christian culture is not standing up for these things. But you, man of God, you are going to have to learn what it is and how to stand for it. What is the doctrine of the apostles that the church at Jerusalem taught? What is that? What does that mean? Do you even know? Well, I'm reading my Bible. You're reading your Bible blindly. Do you know how to read it in any kind of fashion that makes sense? Where are you putting the information? What are you doing with it? What are you building? Nobody goes out into the garage and just grabs some boards and start hammering. You're trying to build something. You have a plan in mind. You have a blueprint. you got something you're trying to construct here. At least something in your mind. How many of you, you read a Bible? There's nothing in your mind. You just read the Bible. I read it today. It means nothing. It goes nowhere. It's nothing. You're hoping for some little sweet little butterfly moment so you feel a little giggly about God and then you go on. That's not agonizing for the faith. That's not exerting. That's not sacrificing. That's not doing anything. Giving God a few spare moments and moving on with what you really need to do for the day, right? There's also an aim in this struggle. What are you aiming toward? What are you going to take hold of eternal life? You see that? Take hold of it. Here's the way this works. He says, you're to take hold of the, of the eternal life. And notice this, to which you were called. That's the gospel call. And the gospel call for those who are chosen is always effectual. It always works. Every time. If you're the chosen of God, then it's going to work every time. If you're not, you'll reject it. The gospel call is clear to everyone. It should make sense to anyone. But the only ones that are going to respond to that are the ones that God is going to work in your heart to cause you to see it 
and then you'll believe it. Every time. So you were called to this. So here's what happens. The moment of that call and you responded to Jesus, you entered the fight. That moment. See, there's no fight in being a worldling. There's no fight. You get to coast. It's like jumping on an inner tube and floating down the stream in the Smoky Mountains. You just get to go with the flow. But the moment that you trust upon Christ, based upon the calling of the Spirit of God through the gospel of God, you jump off the inner tube and you start walking upstream. You're pushing stuff out of the way and dodging people because you're going a different direction. It's a fight. It's a struggle. And the moment that you trust Christ, it starts. But when does it end? Oh, I know. When you get to be a preacher and you get to be my age, you've been doing this as long, it's got to be easy, right? No, no, no. It's worse. It gets harder as you go. It doesn't get easier. But God is trying to build endurance in you. He's trying to build strength. He's trying to build faith. He doesn't want you to be a flabby Christian. He wants you to be strong. And so he's working, working in you if you will allow him to do that. And so as you go, the challenges get greater. And they get bigger. Until when, God? Is there a retirement age for Christianity? I've heard that 67 and a half, you could stop being a Christian, just hang out. Right? You just get to retire, just throw in, just, hey, I did my time, as if it's a prison sentence. No, until you take hold of the eternal life. Now, we understand and know that we possess eternal life in our souls right now. We understand that. But the consummation of it all, when we see him face to face, is not yet. But on that day, when we take hold of that ring of victory, then, then you can rest from the fight. Then you can stop, but not until then. You must keep going, called by the gospel. So now why then, why theology, why the study, the systematic study of God and the great doctrines of the Bible. Why? Why even be here today? Why even put your time into something like this? Why are you doing this? Isn't theology just theoretical? Isn't it just a thing where some people think this and some people think that? Who can know? And so you kind of approach the things of God and the truth of God in that way? No? Look, I've got news for you. A local church is not a collection of people who agree to disagree. It is a covenant family who has agreed to stand for the truth no matter whom it may offend. That's what we do. We stand for the... Now, we don't want to be hateful. We don't want to be mean. We don't want to be condescending. We want to be in those negative things that you can think of. We want to be kind, speaking the truth in love. But we want to speak the truth. We want to live the truth. We want to stand for the apostles' doctrine. We want to be transmitters of the teachings of Jesus. We want to interpret the old covenant in light of the covenant of Christ. We were called to this. Is this an important issue? Evidently. We have a whole book of the Bible here that is begging you not to throw away the pursuit of sound doctrine. Begging you, don't do it. Don't ignore it. It is the foundational 
issue of Christian manhood. According to the scripture, here is the greatest cause demanding the greatest effort, men. Now, I don't want to downplay our need for topical studies of the Bible, teaching us about being a man and loving your wife and being a good father and all those things. It's all great. But you know what men need? According to the scripture, you need to learn to fight for the faith. That is the arena of our battle. That is the key to victory. How long? How long do you have to keep it up? Until we grab hold of the realization of the eternal life at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Obey the charge to fight. Not only obey the charge to flee and the charge to fight, but here's the last one. Obey the charge to finish. Verses 13 and 14. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The charge is, verse 14, keep the commandment. That's the charge. Now, the sworn, the swearing of oath is, I charge you in the presence of God and uh, in, Christ, in Christ Jesus, before Christ Jesus. But what is he charging them to do to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ? The charge, this commandment means, what does it mean? It means to guard and to keep pure the substance of the noble confession. What, what is the noble confession? It's the faith. It is the summation of Christian doctrine that is ours. Now, some of you, perhaps, are the kind of person who would say to me, well, Pastor, I don't need to read any of the confessions of faith or any of the creeds. I just study the Bible. That sounds very noble, my friend. <laughs> The problem with that is that's what all the cults say as well. And for you to think some silly thought like me, myself, in isolation will come to the unerring truth on my own is just a bad thought. You see, truth has to be explained. And it has to be explained accurately. And that's why we have confessions of faith. Some of them are shorter. And some of them are longer. Some of us carry a copy of the Second London Baptist Confession around. And we read from that. Now obviously there are things in it that looking at it from, now, from our point of view now. I'd be like, well that probably wasn't the best way to word that. <laughs> but there's a clear explanation of the truth. And others that you look at say, do you think that the Bible is saying this? Is this what you understand it to mean? And that person says, yeah, I understand it to mean that as well. Good. We walk in unity then. That's the importance of those things. It's not up to you individually to recreate your own creed and then walk around uh, quoting that to everybody. Let me, just, let me just inform you something. You're not able. You're, you're just not able. You need God's people. You need the preaching of the word. 
and we use the explanations of Scripture from the past to keep us on track with all of historical Christianity. That, that's just what we do. And when you err from that, then you're in, you're in error and you've gone on to something else. Now, God bless you. If you want to do that, go somewhere else. It's fine. But, but this is the Scripture. This is what we understand the Bible to be saying, and we agree on that. So it's not up to each one of us to formulate our own confession of faith and walk around as if we ourselves in, in our autonomy are able to sum up all of Christian history and all of Christian belief on our own. That's a bad idea. That's how cults start. That's when you finally have people like Jim Jones saying, you don't need the Bible, I am the Bible. And so you don't want to go down that road. Does that make sense? I hope that it does. Because anybody can say, I believe in Jesus. Anybody can say it. Muslims will say it. I believe in Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses will say it. I believe in Jesus. The Mormons will say it. I believe in Jesus. What do you mean by that? And there has to be an explanation of this is the truth of Scripture. This is what Scripture means by believing on Jesus. First of all, this is who Jesus is according to Scripture. Is that the Jesus you're believing in? This is essential. What, what I'm talk to, talking to you about doctrine, it's essential. There's no substitute for this. And here's the one thing that drives me nuts. I know I'm talking to men today. It just drives me insane. I just, I just want to bite nails in two. I hate the present mood in Christianity that treats women as if they can't also study theology. It makes me sick. It's like the only thing that we think women can study from the Bible are little girl things. Like, well, do you feel frazzled? Dear God in heaven. Are you just having trouble with image? Just so busy, the busy mom. <laughs> Love of God. Do you think Moses wasn't busy? Come on, people. I, to me, that's belittling to women. I think it's belittling. It is. A, a woman can sit down. We can, we can talk about real theology. It's, it, they can do it. It's not like you're an inferior being. It's, Beth Moore, pack up and go home. Go away. Just go away. In the presence of God, I charge you in the presence of God, the seriousness of the urgency to finish strong. That's what's being pointed at here. In the presence of God, he's calling on the name of God as a witness. In the presence of God, Timothy, I charge you, do not turn loose of this. Do not waver from this. You preach and you teach and you live the great doctrines of the faith and do no other. Do not bend. Do not at all waver. And then he says, after the pattern of Christ, you're to stand and to finish like Jesus did. How did Jesus finish? The death, burial, and resurrection. He didn't waver. He didn't turn. He just 
set his mind and his face toward Jerusalem like a flint. And he went and did what he promised the father that he would do. And Pontius Pilate was grilling him. Pontius Pilate told him, I could let you go if I wanted to. And he, tell, and he tells Pilate, look, you couldn't do anything if it wasn't given to you by God. It's not in your power. This is the decree and will of God and I will see it through. And so what Jesus has done in person we are to dedicate ourselves to that doctrine, to that teaching, not only teaching it, not only saying it, not only believing it, but also believing it enough to live it out. That's what he's saying. So, what does it look like to be a man of God? What does it take? You have to obey the charge to flee, men. There's something in your life right now you need to be running from. Run. See, too many of us run from something and we go around the corner and wait for it to catch up again. Run. run. Just run from it. There, there's no shame. Just run. But in your running, run toward that which you ought to pursue. Obey the charge to fight. How much of yourself are you dedicating to the fight for true, true doctrine by knowing it, by teaching it in your home, by living it out? How much of it are you dedicating yourself to? And then obey the charge to finish. The closer you get to the finish line, the steeper the hill. I just want to tell you, the closer you get. Maybe you're a senior adult here today, you've decided to semi-retire on the Lord. Really? That's just not a pattern that we have in the Bible. I'm always reminded of Caleb. One of the spies that went into the promised land. And he and Joshua came back in faith and reported in faith. They were young men. They reported in faith. They said, we can do it. We can take it. The other spies said, no, we can't. No, we can't. And the people rebelled against Moses and would not go in. And they all died in the wilderness, except Joshua and Caleb. And Caleb had asked one thing when he was a young man. He said, when I was over there, I saw a mountain, a hill country. I want that. When God lets us go into the promised land, I want that. And so Moses said, you, you can have it. When the day came and Joshua was leading the children of Israel into the promised land after everybody else had died, except Joshua and Caleb from that group, it was their children that were getting to go in, grown up. You know what Caleb did? He was over 80 years old. And he said, now give me my mountain. He was just getting started. And too many of you have gotten older and decided you don't want the mountain. You just want to sit down and rest in the valley. You don't get to do that. You are to fight the fight of the faith until you grab hold of eternal life. That's the charge that you have. If you're doing anything else, you're disobeying the Lord. How do you be a, a man of God? You have to set this example. You have to live this life. Obeying the charge to flee. Obey the charge to fight. 
and obey the charge to finish. Let's pray together. Father, thank you in Jesus' name for giving us your word and for showing us the truth. Father, I pray for courage for my Christian brothers that they would learn how to obey the charge. Lord, for those today who are at that place in life that they really have something they need to flee, would you bring conviction into his life that he would learn to flee that which is only going to destroy. Father, I pray for those who have become passive and unwilling to fight for the faith. And Father, we understand that our our warfare is not a physical one. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But we fight against all the lies and the deception and the false teaching that is constantly pounding away at our minds. And it gets tiring. But Lord, I pray today that you would grant again courage to the men of God that they would fight the fight, the noble fight of the faith. And Father, I pray for those who've grown weary, grown tired, and are just tempted to just cruise, just adrift, and just waiting for life to end. I pray, Father, that you would reignite the flame in their life, that they would learn how to finish. Lord, we need people that show us how to finish. And I pray, God, that you'd put that calling, especially on our senior men today, to show the rest of us how to finish. God, I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.